Hello, and welcome to Sites and Sirens Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Sites. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Sites, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Sites and Sirens, an emergency preparedness training company. Sites and Sirens is a National American Heart Association training center and EMS training company that specializes in NREMT exam prep. Our Back to Basics podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. Which is why I learned if you want people to like you, never, ever, under any circumstance, for any reason, no matter how much you want to, no matter how much you don't want to, ever, ever waste someone's time unnecessarily. That makes sense because I you don't, want- don't ever interrupt someone because it's rude. Okay. Don't ever do that. They hate that. Right. That was another point in okay. the lecture. That's yeah. And then no, the I, other thing, too, oh, oh. Just don't, um, was that you shouldn't ever if you can say something simply more concise without long pauses. Oh, my God. They appreciate that because you're not wasting their time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. you don't see the irony in that at all. You're talking about. Okay. All right. Well, welcome everybody to Sights and Sirens Back to Basic Podcast. Um, today's sponsor is EMS 2020. EMS 2020 is an, another EMS podcast. Um, two flight paramedics who talk about cases um, that actually either get sent into them or that they've had themselves and they do deep dives into cases. I've had the pl- privilege of jumping on their podcast and being a guest there. Really great podcast. Check them out. EMS 2020. Um, uh, we appreciate them supporting us in, in our endeavors as well. So today, Jason, what are we talking about today? I want to talk about stability. Okay. I think stability is difficult because I think that it's, it's difficult to define a lot. And I think a lot of times there are, I don't want to call them arguments necessarily, but disagreements on scene or after a case or Monday morning quarterbacking a, a call on how we prioritize the patient or whether that patient was stable or unstable or where in that kind of spectrum of compensation versus decompensation that someone's at. And stability is tough. I, I think a lot of people, when you're first starting out, you need things to be a little bit more black and white. Hey, they fit into this category, this category, this category. It makes them stable. It makes them unstable. If they're stable, I'm going to do this. If they're unstable, I'm going to do this, right? We see this in AHA all the time in algorithms, right? If they have stable tachycardia or mm-hmm. they have unstable tachycardia, it changes our treatment stuff. So we need to know what makes someone stable and what makes them uh, unstable, right? And then we also need to know some other definitions and how that really works. And that makes sense. I think we've, we've brought this up, I think, on multiple occasions where – how you define certain terms really can be. And I like you, you, you titled this stability indefinable or misunderstood. And, and, I, and I like that because I think it is very definable as long as we're defining it the same way. Right. Yeah. Like, so if I'm defining stability the same way you're fi- defining stability, we can do that. But stability is one of these things where what I might be measuring that at or to right. is different than what you're measuring it to. So we do need to have some black and white, like, yes, we're going to call this stability or this not stable, but that's really not even how the body works, right? Like there's always this continuum. There's right. always this, you know, going towards unstable or going back towards stable. And, and I guess it can be kind of difficult to define depending on how you're looking at it. Right. And just so for, for those of you at home, that's like, what's the point? Why, why are we, I think that this makes us better communicators on scene. I think it makes us better 
interdisciplinary communicators, if I can, if I can paint the picture better of why someone's unstable, right? I think that it then also helps us pick a treatment modality quicker mm-hmm. and it makes us assess better because we can see when patients are are maybe changing the from the stable state away from that and, and we can address those issues better. So it just makes you an all better all around better provider if you can really understand what's st- what we're talking about when we talk about stability and, and how the body is functioning to keep us stable. And the different types of stability in terms of like right. what you know like, so f- I think we'll probably talk about this, but like a lot of times we fall back to, especially if we're looking for black and white and we're just starting out, we're like blood pressure, right? So yeah. blood pressure is normal. They're stable. If it's low, they're unstable. Yeah. It's like, well, it's that's or, probably or, too black and white, right? Yeah. Or vitals are stable, but he's not stable because of this. And it's like, well, what are you, are we talking about vitals? Are we right, talking yeah. about him? Like, what, what are we talking about the patient? Like you hear treat the patient, not the monitor all the time. But what happens when, I think there's frustration sometimes when maybe based off of a mechanism of injury or maybe a very obvious obvious uh, illness, you know that the patient's not perfect. It's not good. And this is something that requires your attention, but your monitor isn't, isn't playing along, right? Your monitor is not, not showing you that they're unstable. So you're almost frustrated that it's not, it's easier when it's black and white. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and I think this really hits home for me because how many times I'm working a shift and the nurses are like, this doctor's not stable. Right. Get him You're out of unstable. here. You're unstable. He's not it's stable. Like I, and they keep like, they want me to get re-evaled. Like, no, my vital signs are fine. Right. So yeah, like my blood pressure is fine, but I can't tell you how many times I've been considered unstable at work and like unfit to work. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, exactly. It's, weird. it's kind of so, crazy. So I think, I think we needed to find it the same way. Define point. it better. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. the doctor as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right. So, um, the first thing that I want to talk about is just some some definitions. I think that the the key here at first is to get away from really def- really making a delineation between like stable, unstable. It's it's black or white. It's you're one or the other, right? And you taught me this. This is we need to start looking at stability as more of a spectrum, mm-hmm. right? Sure. So there on one end of the spectrum, you're dead. The most unstable you can be, right? right? right. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you are angelically perfect. You, you have, have reached peak health. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot, you're, you're immortal, right? right? So God. both are completely, you, you can't get to them, right? They're, I mean, you can die, but I'm just saying right. you're never, you're never going to fall when you're assessing a patient, they're never going to fall all the way to the left or all the way to the right, really, right? You're never going to achieve perfection. So you speak to, for yourself, but, <laughs> but to, you know, to talk about instability, when we talk about compensation and decompensation, like, you can argue that when I prick my finger and I start to bleed, I'm now unstable in the sense that I'm not all the way to the right on that spectrum, right? I'm not perfect on that spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, and I can really honestly make arguments for how how someone locally is unstable when they prick their finger because there's compensatory mechanisms that activate. They have clotting cascades that happen, like your body is making up for the fact that they're you're unstable, right? So yeah, like yeah. we can get all caught up on this definition or we can start looking at this in a little bit of a different light to help us understand and then use that w- with our treatment. And I think what goes along with this too is this idea of homeostasis. You okay, you okay if I take the conversation? Yeah, no, that's where know, I want to go. You got to know where I'm going yeah. to. So the our body is never, nothing is ever in perfect balance, right? You think about like a seesaw and like, it's never really like completely balanced, right? It's always a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left, back and forth and back and forth. And over the course of time, it appears balanced or things can appear balanced because they keep coming back to this, this middle ground. And that's literally what the body is doing in every moment, 
right? We have compensatory mechanisms and we have bodily functions and things that always are bringing us back to this level of homeostasis. And disease is what happens on either end of that when we get too far towards one side or the other, right? right? Um, You think about like acidosis and alkalosis, right? pH levels. There's a certain range of pH that our body functions in. If we get too low pH, we get too acidotic, we're going to have problems. We're going to have disease. If we get too, you know, our basic. pH gets too high, then we get alkalotic. Yeah, we're more basic. Then again, we're going to we're going to start seeing disease. And, and disease is basically this, you know, dis-ease, ease being homeostasis, right? The right. staying in this range that we function in. Well, and that's easy to think of because we we call it fluid balance. We call it like the science of fluid balance. So you're like, oh, you're balancing. There's there's ends of the spectrum. It's mm-hmm. one way or the other. But we don't call it health balance, really. You know, what I mean, we just call it like dis- right. you're sick or you're not. And that's just. It's just not true, right? You're not, you're never just sick or you're not sick, right? Right. right. Everyone is always dealing with chronic issues that your body is either making up for and and it's pulling off a a decent function or it's not and it's failing in that. Right. And things are getting worse. So I guess you could say things are either maintaining or they're getting worse, right? And And that's where we come up with the the idea of compensation versus decompensation. And there's also this, this, I think it's like a a law of physics, right? That, that everything, moves towards chaos, right? Like, so everything, like our body is always kind of moving towards disequilibrium. And then we're trying, like our body's then trying to bring it back to equilibrium, right? right. So like, does that make sense? Like if you didn't yeah. do anything, I mean, it's a dark way to look at the world <laughs> <It is. laughs> just, a little bit, but like, I know what you're saying. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? So there's, there's like, we can't just, you know, stop doing anything and stay in balance. We have to, we have to move within this realm. Yeah. And a lot of times in our body, it's not just turning on a faucet. And then turning off a faucet to, to get a mechanism going and then shut that mechanism off. A lot of times we're turning on the hot water and then mm-hmm. we're also turning on some of the cold water to balance out. The, you know what I mean? Exactly. exactly. So right, it's not right, – right. sometimes we're turning on things that negate other things as opposed to just turning something on and off. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit more complicated than that. Right, right? right. And the main way that we see this in emergency medicine is that if something happens to throw us out of balance where we start to – Uh, have a threat to the body. And the easiest way to explain it a lot of times is with something like blood pressure. But if I cut your arm off and you start to bleed out, the issue now is that you're going to have low volume in your body, right? Your volume is dropping and therefore your pressure is going to drop. If your pressure ever drops too much, we're not going to be able to oxygenate tissue and that's how we that's how we survive. So our body does what's called compensation in order to make up for this. So when we talk about the body staying in this you know, level of homeostasis or like we're basically talking about the body being able to function and the body functioning is the body oxygenating its tissues. Right. right? I mean, like, like in simple terms, taking it back to basics, the body's everything the body needs to do to function that uses oxygen for. So we have to oxygenate and perfuse our tissues. But what does that mean? Because this is something we run into, too. Like we talk about oxygenation and perfusion and and we've talked about before there's, there's assumptions we make based on looking at a pulse ox or reading a blood pressure cuff. But what are these? I think we have to define these terms for people. Right. Because there's, I think it's fine that we make assumptions in medicine. We do it every day, but like we have to know we're making those assumptions. Yeah. So when we read someone's pulse ox, we usually like, oh, hey, hundred percent on room air, they're perfusing well. Well, we use that word a lot. See, I, yeah, I use that I mean. when I teach. I there probably has never been a class that I haven't taught where I've been like the body, especially like CPR classes, because you're talking about circulation, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, the body needs oxygen, right? Your cells need oxygen. Perfusion means oxygen getting to the tissues. 
it doesn't. Like I, I'm kind of lying every single time I teach that, right. right? What perfusion is referring to is fluid getting into the tissues. Now we're assuming that that fluid has oxygen blood. in it, right? It has the yeah, the, the blood gets to the right spot and it can oxygenate. But there are there are lots of facets, about four facets really, of true oxygenation in order to achieve, you know, homeostasis. Yeah, optimal bodily, function. Yeah. Right? Optimal function. function. Yeah. So there is perfusion. So we are very reliant on being able to get oxygenated fluid or blood to those areas. If we have blockage because of heart attacks, there's lack of perfusion to that area. If we have blockage in the brain, there's a stroke, right? We have lack of fluid to that area. That's not an oxygenation issue, though. Right. That, that, that's a supply issue, right? It's a right? perfusion problem. Uh, yeah, so perf- that's perfusion. Oxygenation is just our ability to actually get oxygen into the system. Right. Under the so, red blood so cells, is, the yeah, are, are the red blood cells carrying oxygen well? So an example of bad oxygenation would be like, is the hemoglobin being displaced? Like, are we displacing oxygen by like CO? Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's a true. It's not a perfusion issue. There's plenty of fluid getting into the area. It's not carrying oxygen. Right. It's our oxygen carrying capacity. And then we talk about we use that as an example because it's a really good example. Carbon monoxide poisoning. When you look at a pulse ox, a pulse ox is actually only looking at hemoglobin saturation. And in carbon monoxide, it's saturated, but it's saturated with the wrong stuff. It's carbon monoxide, not oxygen. So your pulse ox looks fine and you're like, oh, they're perfusing fine. Well, yes, they are perfusing fine because there's no blockage to blood flow. Blood flow is getting to the tissues, but that blood doesn't have any oxygen on it. So they're not oxygenating their tissues well. Which means they're not going to be stable for long. Right. right? Exactly. So they're not going to be in that homeostasis. So perfusion, fluid getting into the area oxygenation, the ability of the the blood itself to carry the oxygen, Mm -hmm. diffusion. This is the ability for that oxygen to transfer to the right cells, right? Right. Diffusion would be like your your CO2 and your oxygen swapping, right? Right. There can be issues there. There can be chemical imbalances. You can be have too much CO2 in your system. You can have too little CO2 in your system, right? So that that's a diffusion issue. Well, another uh, one example I like to use, maybe it's a little oversimplified, but one thing I like to show for like diffusion issue is like pulmonary edema, right? So you have no problem getting oxygen, uh, oxygenating, like getting oxygen onto the blood cells, but you, and you have no problem with getting the blood then to the different tissues, but the oxygen and CO2 can't diffuse through that fluid. So you don't, you have a diffusion problem. So right. like you don't really have an oxygen. You If you gave that person a bunch of oxygen. That's what I was about to say, right? right. It, giving them hundred percent oxygen isn't going to solve your issue because right. the oxygen can't transfer where can't it needs to transfer. It can't diffuse, go, right. right? At that, because it's drowning in fluid. Right. So, so I think we'll, basically what we're trying to say here is that and, and like I said, there, there, we do make some assumptions on blood pressure and pulse ox based on, oh, they're perfusing well, they're oxygenating well. And, and that's probably fine because most of the time we're probably right. Right. But we're not always right. And we're, we're kind of showing some examples here where maybe we're not right. So there's those three things that need to occur appropriately for the body to stay in that hemostasis. Fourth thing would be ventilation, right? Just ventilation. Being brain, just bringing a brain air in that has oxygen in it. But right. again, just to give you an example, if we take it in order, basically, you have to be ventilating well, right? You have to be able to breathe in an air. We're assuming that air has oxygen in it and it's good to go. Sometimes it doesn't if you're mm-hmm. in a, if a different atmosphere, right? Then you have to have proper diffusion. There has to be the ability of that oxygen to offload and get into your into your cells, mm-hmm. your carrying cells. So that there's your diffusion. If it's going to get in the cells, it has to be able to stay in the cells. That's true oxygenation or your saturation, right, of the hemoglobin. And then that cell has to move around the body, get to the right place, and have enough pressure and fluid behind it where it can get to the area we're trying to oxygenate. That's perfusion. 
right? Right. So we chalk this all up a lot of times as just saying like, are they perfusing well? And we're just making those other three assumptions based off of the the movement of the fluid. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of times we define vital stability based on hemodynamics. Like, like are they hemodynamically stable? Hemo meaning blood, dynamic meaning pressure. Is their pressure good enough, right? Mm-hmm. And pressure is kind of the end all be all vital sign a lot of times because we're so dependent on the perfusion of the tissue. We, we need to make sure that the fluid's going to the right place. And when we start going into shock or we start to decompensate or there's threats or diseases, a lot of times the first issue is going to be a, fl- a relative fluid issue where the fluid's not getting to the right place, whether there's blockage, whether there's not enough fluid, whether they're the size of the container is too big, mm-hmm. you know, our, our vessels are too, are too wide, whatever's causing it, right? That drop in pressure is kind of our, uh-oh, Things are going bad now. I can't. I know I can't get. It doesn't matter if it's oxygenated or not. I know I can't stabilize this patient or keep them at homeostasis because the blood isn't moving enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get that to the right place. Right. There's not enough pressure to push the blood. And that's why, like in CPR, we talk about perfusion. We talk about how important it is to circulate the blood. Compressions are so important because we're trying to perfuse right, different right. areas. And that's like that. I think that's a, a, a good example of how blood pressure so like a low blood pressure does mean that we have a perfusion issue yeah right so so there's there's only certain things we can measure right there's only certain right. we can we can measure a pulse ox we can measure blood pressure we can measure heart rate so we we have to take what we can take what we can get which is these right. measurements and then make assumptions based on them so if someone's got a low blood pressure we can say okay they're not perfusing well they're not there's not enough you know, pressure behind that fluid to get it to the vital organs it needs to get to for the most part. And that tells us that the patient on paper right. is unstable. Right. They're hemodynamically unstable. Right. So that when in terms of like talking about vital stability, when we talk about do they have stable vitals or not, blood pressure is always going to lead the way mm. because it doesn't matter if there's an oxygen issue or not. If oxygen can be, you know, perfect, the atmosphere can be fine. We can have no problem with diffusion and we can have no problem with ventilation and oxygenation, but we have a problem with perfusion. It, it don't matter that it's oxygenated, that these cells are good to go. They're not going to the right place. And therefore the cells of our body aren't getting oxygen and now they're starting to die right. or damage. Exactly. Right? So that it, so when, when those things are off, it's almost easy. Right. It's almost easy. And that's why, like, the black and white of, like, blood pressure high, blood pressure low, stable, unstable, yes, is true. Mm-hmm. The question is, is that are there situations where that's where that's not true? And I think that's where – so if we're going to rely on blood pressure to be the only thing we look at for perfusion, we're not going to be wrong when we see someone with low blood pressure. But we are going to maybe potentially be wrong sometimes when we have someone with a normal blood pressure – Right. Still isn't perfusing well. Like, and the example I like to use here is if you're having a heart attack, right? If you're having a heart attack and you've got blockage of blood flow to your heart tissue, you have a perfusion problem to your heart. Yes, right? you, you have a perf- you're not perfusing get- your heart well, right? But your blood pressure might be fine. We see that every day. I mean, I have right. people come in with chest pain, and, and sometimes their blood pressure is low, and I'm like, oh, they're unstable. But if I check their blood pressure and it's normal, I don't say, oh, they're stable. No, I still think they're having an MI. That's an unstable perfusion issue. And this is an example of where my blood pressure 
isn't the tool I can use to gauge that stability. Right. To answer that question. Well, or or in our CO example, let's say you, you breathe in too much CO, it's displaced so much oxygen, you're not actually oxygenating in the tissue, but you're still pumping fluid to it. So your mm-hmm. blood pressure is fine. It's going to take a while for your heart to start to die for it not to pump fast enough for your pressure to start to then drop, you right. know, and you don't want to be behind the eight ball with this stuff. Right. So we do want that early recognition. So I'll give a final example too, if, if you don't mind, yeah. I'll just jump in. A final example there would be like the ventilation thing, right? So we, we ventilation and oxygenation, we link together sometimes. Ventilation is bringing air in and out of the lungs and oxygenation is getting that oxygen onto the, into the blood vessels. So if you have someone who has a normal pulse ox, they've, they've been breathing normal air and they suddenly stop breathing, they stop ventilating. It usually takes sometimes a minute or two for the oxygen to unload enough that you start to see a drop in the pulse ox on your monitor. Right. So again, it's an example of like when the pulse ox is low, we can say the patient isn't oxygenating well, right? But sometimes when it's but high, they're not oxygenating high, well They're too. not either because right. they're not ventilating. So it's all these things. And, and, and we bring attention to this because it starts to make you realize, like, like you said earlier, how we can define these things in different ways. And and we're not wrong when we say that, you know, someone's unstable who has a low blood pressure, but there are plenty of cases where, or the pulse ox is low. And when, when things are off and we can measure them, that's easy. But what about when they're all normal and we still have an unstable patient? Because that's why, and that's why think of it as a spectrum instead of just a a black or white, they're stable or they're unstable, right? Mm -hmm. You're unstable because I know you just breathe in a bunch of CO. It doesn't matter that my monitor is telling me this, right? I'm going to treat the patient, not the monitor. That's, that's an example of that, right? right? So it's having a deeper understanding of this stuff and like, not to be too sarcastic here, but it's almost like the whole body works together to keep you into homeostasis, <laughs> right. right? We right. can't just look at one part, right? So yeah. having just a little bit of a deeper understanding of the individual facets and how we oxygenate cells, which is everybody's system d- does that in one way or another, right? Right. It helps us then understand what to look for during an issue or a problem, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing that's that's great about the body, but can make this complicated and make it tough to, to define stability is that... Your body has ways of making up for the fact that it's losing a blood pressure, right? The blood pressure is dropping, so it cranks up the heart rate or the, you know, the oxygenation. Your, 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 yeah, your oxygenation isn't too great, so it cranks up the ventilation to bring more air and more oxygen in, right? That's a good thing, but it makes things complicated because it, it we last longer. And then if we're not paying attention, we don't notice that these are actually mechanisms that are helping us stay up there during a problem state. Right, right, right. So to get the we're falling example, out of we're falling out of um, homeostasis. homeostasis, and but but we're but our body's compensating in ways to keep the things functioning. And and a big example, this is like in kids. So especially in kids, like we always when we teach like pals and you know pep in these different classes. If you've got a kid with low blood pressure, you're way behind the eight ball. Yeah. Kids can kids can compensate their blood pressure for so long that when they actually drop their blood pressure, they've been going out of homeostasis for quite a while. They've been decompensating right. for quite their, a while. Their body's ability to make up for the bad stuff is now failing, which mm-hmm. means things have gotten really bad, right? So to simplify this and take it back to basics, the example I always use is, let's say I cut off Chris's arm, right? He's now bleeding out. There's a volume issue, right? The issue isn't oxygenation per se right now. It's that there's not enough fluid. So what does the body do to, to fix that? It starts cranking up 
his pulse rate. He's going to go tachycardic initially, right, to speed up the rate in order to keep the pressure high enough to perfuse all the tissue or to oxygenate all his tissues, right? And we call that a compensatory mechanism, that, that tachycardia. It's compensatory. It's making up for it, right? Compensation. So, you know, that's why, like, guys drive big trucks, right? They're, they're making up for something or they're compensating for something. It's why I drive a 2007 Ford Ranger, one of the smallest trucks in the, in the industry. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, but no, it's a good way to remember, right? You're making up for something. You're compensating. So when those systems start to get exhausted, you know, the threat is still real during the compensation. So you can argue that they're not stable. They're not healthy, right? right? In, right. in the way that we define stability, they're not healthy, right? Once those mechanisms start to fail and they start to actually decompensate and we start to see a drop in blood pressure and a drop in pulse rate and now we're getting behind the eight ball that's what's going to make your patient well and truly unstable because they're decompensating now Mm -hmm. right they're so exhausted but we want to be able to catch patients that are compensating and and still realize that they have an issue right so if i just am looking at numbers on right. a if i can't see a patient and i'm just looking at numbers on vital signs and i'm just going off of blood pressure even after i cut off your arm your blood pressure is going to be maintaining perfusion for quite some time sure. because of compensatory mechanisms I need to look at your whole system look at what's going on with your body and understand how your body makes up for these issues to recognize hey this could go south very quickly, mm-hmm. right? So, and I think, okay, so like there's there's different ways that we're defining stability here. So like there's like when people present to me in the emergency department a case, like if you're a paramedic that brings in a case and you say, okay, the, the vital signs are stable, but the pay, so there's not really going to be a case where like you, someone's going to be like, is the patient stable or not stable? And you have to be like, they're- 100% stable. Right, yeah. I mean, it's a spectrum. So you can yeah. just, you can say the vital signs are stable. You can say they're hemodynamically stable, but I think they're having an MI or, but so, but we do need to be able to define these things in yeah. the field, right? So it's not a perfect system, but so how do we, how do you, how do you define, how do you prioritize these patients in terms of being able to say, okay, like I need something, right? Like right. we're showing the spectrum but in terms of communication and in terms of prioritizing and triage, how do you in the field basically say like, okay, this is how I'm going to categorize patients? Right. So, and that's going to be like part of triage and prioritization levels. So I do want to say, as we, as we discuss this, instability can be defined. We can define unstable. Sure. Based on what we just talked about, how are we defining unstable? It's lack of oxygenation to tissue mm-hmm. for whatever reason, whether it's perfusion or it's ventilation or it's diffusion sure. or it's something or it's trauma, it's lack of fluid completely, right? Any of that stuff. I know that there, there's a threat to the body because there's lack of oxygenation to the tissues, to the cells of the body. And it's why so when we anything that's going to cause that makes them unstable, right? right. Any sign that that's already happening makes someone unstable. If you have chest pain, that's indicative of lack of perfusion or lack of oxygenation to the heart muscle. That's why it feels like it's cramping up, right? It's Mm -hmm. lack of oxygen. And there's a major organ. You're unstable. It doesn't matter if your vitals are fine. You're unstable. Your chest hurts, right? If you're, if you're, uh, you have an altered mental status, your brain's lacking oxygen now. You're unstable. 100. I don't care what your vitals are. Yeah. You are yeah. unstable, right? Because there's lack of oxygenation to a major organ. Sure. Yeah. So that that's kind of how I I think of it, right? Like what's going on in the body? Don't just look at the vital signs. Use the vital signs to edify your analysis, right? Mm-hmm. But you want to find out if there's lack of oxygenation or not. So that's how we're going to define truly well and truly unstable. 
if they are unstable in that way, we're going to give them a priority one rating, right? This is the guy you're going lights and sirens on. It's the most serious as it can be. They are well and truly unstable. Sometimes we bump into situations where maybe you're compensating. So your vital signs are stable, but I know that if I leave this situation be, you will eventually decompensate and there will be a threat to oxygenation and therefore life, right? We can refer to that as someone who's potentially unstable. They have the potential to become unstable during their current condition. That's what we'd call a priority two patient. Okay. A priority three patient, if you listen to our triage uh, lecture, this would be a walking wounded. A lot of times we refer to if we're if we're thinking like disaster triage, but this is someone who is is stable and it doesn't appear like there's going to be a major threat anytime soon to that stability. So their vitals are stable. They're not showing any signs of lack of oxygenation to major organs. There is no major mechanism of injury or nature of illness that makes me concerned like things could go south. They're stable. They're they're going to remain stable for some time. I'll call them a priority three then, okay. right? And this would be someone, you know, who's, you know, they, they've got abdominal pain, right? They've got, you know, they, these are still issues that need to be treated. They can become complicated and they absolutely can lead to decrease in health, but not necessarily a, a threat to their life right now, mm-hmm. right? And then finally, we do have priority four patients, which would be someone who's deceased. Okay. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, though. So, every person with chest pain, you make a priority one then? Technically, by, by definition. Sure. If I can, if in my situation, I can't confirm that something is not a heart attack yeah. or not. Yeah, I can't confirm that it's just a little bit of lack of oxygen that's going to resolve, right? Like an in, in angina or something like mm-hmm. that. I can't. I can't prove that. So, yes, anytime there's chest pain in EMS, we're going to call that patient unstable. Okay. Granted, right. <laughs> when I go to call you now, I'm not necessarily always going to call that patient a priority one if his vital, if his other vitals are stable and the EKG isn't showing me a STEMI. Okay. I might call that a priority two because I don't know, right? Sure. I Based on their presentation, they're telling me that there's some lack of oxygen to a major organ, and that's that's an instability sign. But all their other vitals are looking really good, and I can look deeper and look at their EKG. Their EKG looks good too, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of chest pain patients that aren't active STEMIs will prioritize as a two, as a potentially unstable, because there are possibilities of lack of oxygen to the heart without death of heart tissue. Sure. But I will tell you, anytime there's an altered mental status, you know, that that's pretty much a priority one, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. we're going to rule out now the big scary stuff. You know, okay. is it a low, is it a little sugar? Is it, is it a, a trauma base? Is there bleeding in the brain? Is it a, is it a stroke, right? Those are priority one patients. In terms of prioritization, like how fast we're going to get there to help you guys make the decision at the hospital. Right, right. It's just a quick field triage. And if you listen to our triage, uh, our disaster triage podcast, you'll know that there's going to be retriage constantly, right? There's going yeah, to be yeah. reassessment constantly. This might change in route. Their chest pain might resolve. And now I'm going to downgrade them. I don't have to call you up and say, hey, I changed my mind. It's now a two or anything like that. Because when I get there to the hospital, the first thing that right. you guys are going to do is triage it them yourself, right. right? Sometimes you call me and tell me that it's a four now. Well, yeah, I'll tell you if something goes bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, all right, cool. So, yeah, I mean, I think that like hopefully we've painted this picture of like, Stability is something that we can define. We just have to know how we're defining it and understand how the body works within this realm of homeostasis and that sort of thing. Right. right. So, I think if we used more words, like if I, if I came to the ER and I gave you a description and I just said, yeah, they're stable. 
or, hey, they're unstable, that doesn't help you out at all. Right. If I say, hey, this guy, his vitals are stable. He's suffering from some chest pain, which which makes me think that there's lack of oxygen to a major organ, which concerns me a little bit. I think he's compensating right now and could potentially be decompensating soon. Doesn't right. take that much long to, to say that. We all kind of understand those concepts now, mm-hmm. but it does paint a way better picture and shows that I have a way deeper understanding of the body's mechanisms and what's going on, right? Helps you then do your job. Right. Because otherwise I just drop the patient in front of you and you're like, well, if he's stable, why is he here? <laughs> right. right, right <laughs> and if right. he's unstable, how is he unstable? Right. Yeah. So again, this is all about that relationship between EMS and the ER and, and basic providers and advanced providers and how we're communicating with one another. And like you said, defining the same terms the same way yeah. is vitals are stable. This is why I'm concerned. In the end, does it matter whether I give him a one, two or a three? No, he's going to the same place, right? It doesn't really matter. Right. But it helps us. Helps us paint a picture. Yeah, exactly. And same, same with nursing. I mean, how many times I've relied on nurses to come and tell me, hey, just so you know, I know all his vitals are stable and I know his lab work looks good, but I'm seeing this. I mean, it, that we work as a team, right? We have to be able to. And that reassessment is so important because they don't you don't stay a one, two, three or well, right. you stay a four, but you don't stay a one, two, three priorities that, you know, like, things happen, things get better, things get worse. Again, homeostasis coming back to this like level of functionality in the body. So and I'll give you know, I'll, I'll just say before we end. You're going to be wrong about this kind of stuff sometimes, too. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, sometimes you're you're not really ever wrong, I guess is what I mean. Yeah, so, yeah. like, I had just last night, I had a patient who had severe burning all the way up the esophagus to the throat. And she never had any history of esophageal reflux or GERD or uh, acid reflux, anything like that. And she said it kind of feels like her throat's closing. We... She didn't have chest pain, so it wasn't really a cardiac thing. Mm-hmm. So we had some guys on scene who wanted to chalk it up as, hey, it's probably just like inflammation, GERD, it's no big deal. Me, with with some of the experiences I've had with beta blocker allergies, like and like lisinopril allergies, things like that, I was a little bit concerned about maybe a reaction to her medication because she said it kind of feels in like my throat's swelling a little bit. Now, a lot of this is dependent on how the patient assesses themselves and what they can tell me, sure. right? But we gave that patient a higher priority and coded into the hospital just in case it could potentially have been an allergic reaction. Didn't end up being one. Yeah. She's, she is getting treated now for esophageal stuff, and it was right. no big deal, but better to err on the side of caution sometimes, right? So I don't feel bad that I prioritize them, quote unquote, wrong. I used the information that was available to me to make clinical decisions right. and look at all the factors. And then, then aired on the side of caution. Yeah. In the in the presentation of that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's nothing wrong with. Yeah, I mean, you're not always going to be right. I mean, you're not necessarily always going to be right. But again, having the ability to look at these issues and say, okay, I, I have a good understanding of how what really is perfusion, what is oxygenation, what is the body trying to do, not trying to do. That's going to that again, like we said before, that's going to it's going to make you a. Uh, an, an advanced provider in whatever field you're in, whether it's EMT, AEMT, a medic, a physician, a nurse, like that's really going to set you apart from someone who's a true clinician, from someone who just knows how to knows how to do the job. Right. You know I mean? And I mean, it, it, if every time, you know, if I had a dollar for every time you miscategorize a priority four, I mean, I'd be rich. What? <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much again. Our sponsor today is EMS 2020. Check out their podcast as well. Great EMS podcast where they go over cases and do some deep dives. Uh, we, again, appreciate their support and what we're doing. We hope you guys have a great week, and we will see you next week for another episode. Stay sweet. 
Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're an EMT or medic student or an advanced EMT student or an instructor of those students, we have a program just for you. With Sights and Sirens NREMT prep program, you get video lectures over 15 hours of really vetted, great content to help you through your program and help you prepare for the test. Check it out at www.sightsandsirens.com. Thank you.